The order and the structure of service will be a little bit different this morning, but there is going to be um, a consistent idea that I'm going to ask each of us try to keep in our heads as we go throughout the entire worship service this morning. Each of the prayers, each of the songs, as you take the Lord's Supper, as we listen to some of these lessons, I want us to maintain in our minds the idea of forgiveness. And I want each of us as individuals uh, to try as best we can to individualize the lesson more than I'm going to be able to up here. What I mean by that is I'm going to be speaking somewhat in generalities because there's a bunch of different people here. And I don't know what all ways in which you need to be forgiven of another person. And I don't know what grudges or what anger you're bearing with you day after day that might need to be released. I don't know the specific uh, pains that you've experienced. I don't know the emotions that you're carrying with you. I don't know who you need to forgive. But I'd like for you to take some time this morning and you think about that. And you think about who it is in my life that I right now am withholding forgiveness from. Or who it is in my life right now, I'm begging for their forgiveness. And keep some of those relationships and some of those ideas in your mind as we go throughout this lesson. Um, We're in the middle of a series of lessons dealing with our theme for the year, which is Christ vision. Trying to see the world through the lens of Jesus. Um, And we're talking about family. And family is going to be viewed differently if you're a follower of Jesus than perhaps if you're not. And we're going to try to emphasize some of those differences. But one of the reasons this lesson comes right into the heart of it, if you listen to our lesson last week, uh, the lesson was on marriage, and I gave a bunch of of, uh, some, some Bible teaching, hopefully on some ways to think about marriage through Jesus, but then also some practical things that you can do in your marriage. We talked about love, and we talked about putting the other person above ourselves. We talked about making time for that person. We talked about being the husband and a wife that, that God called us to be and being as good as we can at that, and trying to, to make sure the other person in the relationship feels loved and, and cherished and, and honored. The reality is... You could hear a lesson like that and think, great, that's what a marriage should be. But if you look at pretty much any marriage, you're going to see that it's not always like that. Um, There are going to be people, uh, there's going to be a spouse, there's going to be usually two spouses, who uh, do not live up to that standard that we talked about and to what God called us to. Um, If a marriage is going to work, you can't expect them to. You have to recognize that people are sinful, even your spouse, even you. Um, We can get so fixated on the failures of the other person that we forget to see value in them, and we can forget about our own failures as well. well. (laughs) And when that happens, a dangerous and dark cycle can begin, where every day, even the good thing that the other person does is experienced with um, maybe uh, uh, some skepticism about their motives, or it's like then all of a sudden it becomes impossible for the person to do anything right, and it becomes much harder for you to do anything right if you're experiencing that with your your spouse. If you're going to move forward in a marriage relationship, the key is the ability to forgive. 
because you will need it and your spouse will need it. And that's true with marriage, but it's also true when it comes to having children. Uh, It's also true when it comes to having siblings. It's true with pretty much your entire family. It's true with pretty much any relationship you're ever going to have with anybody. Because you're going to have relationships with flawed people, and you're a flawed person. And so for any relationship to work, forgiveness has to be a key and central ingredient to it. So think in your life of who needs to be forgiven. Think in your life of, of what that will entail. And then uh, try to keep that in your mind as you sing these songs and as we go through these lessons. The first point I want to make is that the whole idea of forgiveness that we're going to be talking about is rooted in the very character and nature of God himself. Um, God is never asking us to do anything that he himself has not already done in more uh, profound and in in more incredible ways than, than we could possibly imagine. In fact, if you're a Christian here today, you have benefited it from the gift of forgiveness uh, in a more profound way than you could ever offer it to anyone else. And so the first thing to understand is that God is a forgiving God. There's a passage I want to read from Exodus 34. And when it comes to passages that are really, really important for uh, having in your mind that shape the whole way you view God, that shape the whole way you view your relationship with him, I don't know if you can find a better one than this. Uh, at least this is going to be in your, in your top five. You know, it's, it's, it's an extremely important passage. It's used over and over again throughout the rest of the Bible to go back to who God is and to talk more about him. It's God's self-description of himself to Moses. And the context leading up to this is Moses has been up on the mountain with God, the people have agreed that they're going to enter into a covenant. Like Israel has just been saved from Egypt by his sheer grace. They have been fed and provided for in the wilderness by his goodness. And then they get to the mountain and Moses comes down and he reads the covenant to the people. And they all say, yes, all that the Lord has said we will do. We will be obedient. And you have God as the savior of these people. And these people who have said, we're going to commit ourselves to you. First thing we're going to do is have no other gods before you. Number two, we are not going to make any other gods. And then when Moses it goes back up on the mountain to get some instructions about the house for God to live in among these people. Like, they just agreed, yes, he's going to live with us. Well, he goes up there, he gets the blueprints for the tabernacle. While he's gone, they decide, hey, you know those first two things we agreed upon? Let's get ourselves another God and let's make him. Um, And so they give their gold to Aaron, and he ends up making this golden calf. And like, the covenant immediately is broken. The agreement that they made with God, the marriage bond that they entered into with God is immediately broken. And God has now a decision as to what he's going to do. Find himself a new people. He even offers Moses, you know, I can make a new people from you. And and, and they could be a great people and I can bless them. But that's not ultimately what God does. Why does God not go that route? He chooses instead to stick with these people and he does so because he forgives them. He chooses to forgive, and if you continue to read the story, he chooses to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive over and over and over again. Um, In Exodus chapter 34, this is the basis of what that relationship is going to be like. This is the foundation of what God is going to be uh, saying about himself and why it is that as you continue to read through the story of the Bible, God continues to stick with these people even though they're sinful, and really it's the foundation of why, when I look at my own life, God continues to stick with me, even though I sin over and over and over. And it is because this is how God describes himself. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. The Lord passed by in front of him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, 
compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast, loyal love and truth. And he keeps that loyal love for thousands. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And uh, he visits the iniquity of the, the fathers to the children and the grandchildren to the second and third. Um, that final phrase, I don't want to get lost in it, but the idea is God does stand against injustice. God does punish iniquity. Um, you can see that through the Bible as well. But his steadfast, loyal love is for thousands. His punishment is two or three. There's a contrast in the numbers that are used that you're supposed to, to notice. And later on in the Bible, when this passage is quoted, that final phrase gets kind of dropped off and transformed to be basically he laments or he... Uh, um, he gives up. He, he does not maintain his anger forever. Uh, he, uh, he relents concerning calamity is, is the phrase that's used. Basically, God's love, no matter how long of a time you're alive or your family's alive or this world goes on, you can count on that. His anger is short-lived. Um, he's slow to anger, but he's really quick to forgive. In fact, it's because he is gracious, compassionate, uh, merciful, uh, slow to anger. He abounds in this loyal love that remains committed even through the failures of the other person. And that's why he forgives over and over and over again. So this passage is the one that when the spies in the book of Numbers, they go and search out the promised land. And when they're too fearful to take it, why does God uh, continue to uh, be with those people, provide for them manna in the wilderness, and allow their children to take the land? It's because he's still loyal to them and he still loves them. Even when they decided they wanted to go back into Egypt, God still was their God. Uh, if you go through the book of Numbers, you'll see over and over and over again, the children of Israel rebel against God or they want to go back to the wilderness and God forgives them. If you read the book of Judges, you'll see over and over and over and over and over again, the children of Israel rebel against God. They turn to other gods. They reject the covenant. And yet he is just as much their God at the end of that book as he is the beginning of that book. God doesn't give up on you. God loves you. And because of the richness and the depth of his eternal, loyal, boundless love, he forgives. He forgives and he forgives. So when Jesus tells his disciples, 70 times 7 is the number that you forgive someone, he's rooting that in the character of the one who has forgiven us that many times. He's rooting that in God himself. And so foundational point that any discussion of forgiveness has to begin with, I think, is the character and the forgiving nature of God. And so let's keep that in our minds as we continue to sing a few more songs. Uh, let's now prepare for the Lord's Supper. Um, so uh, be sure and get one of these out. Um, the Lord's Supper, or the, the Eucharist as it's sometimes called, uh, is a thanksgiving. It is an expression of our thanksgiving to God as we reaffirm and remember and recommit to our loving covenant with him. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on uh, the night before he was arrested. Um, he did so as part of a Passover celebration. Passover is when Israel looked back and they remembered their God-given victory over the forces of darkness that held them enslaved in Egypt. God gave them miraculously, through a mighty hand, a great and tremendous victory over Egypt. Uh, they did, in essence, nothing to earn it. They watched as the powerful arm of God overthrew their enemies and gave them freedom. And as they escaped Egypt, there was... Uh, set in their scriptures an annual reminder 
of what God had done for them, and that was the celebration of Passover. It was when God passed over their houses so that they had life, even though the Egyptians experienced the overthrow and the darkness of death. And, and the Egyptians experienced upon themselves that which they had originally uh, been, uh, been treating uh, the Israelites with. And they were able to leave. They were able to be given a promised land. The Sabbath is actually a, a weekly reminder of the rest that they can now enjoy that they didn't have while they were in Egypt. One of the things that God... Uh, often wanted the Israelites to do throughout their uh, day, throughout their week, and throughout their year was to have reminders of their agreement with him, of their covenant with him, with their relationship with him. That's what Sabbath is. That's what a lot of the purity regulations are. That's what Passover is. And Jesus uses Passover as the time when he is going to face the cross because that is when he's going to ultimately give us our victory. That's when he's going to give us our uh, freedom from the slavery and the power of sin that holds, holds us captive. Um, he could have chosen uh, the, day of, uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, which would have been appropriate, you know, because that is our atonement. And, and so you could think, well, you have these other Jewish feasts, and some of them might fit really well. But I think it's profound and really important that he uses Passover. He uses the celebration of God's victory over evil and darkness and slavery as a reminder for Christians every time that we gather and take the Lord's Supper of what God has done for us, of what happened there on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he was defeating our enemies for us. And when he was raised from the dead, he was infusing us with new life. That is our story, and it's a story we should never, ever forget. It's a story that when we gather together, we should retell. It's a story that we should remember. It's a story we should rejoice in. And it's a story right now that we should give thanks for. So let's begin with a word of prayer as we remember the body that was, uh, that was nailed to the cross to give us victory. Um, so let's pray together. Our dear God, we thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. We thank you for... The victory we have over sin, over darkness, and over the forces that have held us captive. God, we thank you for Jesus in his love, in his self-giving sacrifice on the cross for each one of us that gives us hope and that gives us a relationship with you, that gives us uh, renewal, and that gives us uh, a future and a hope to long for, God. We love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Matthew chapter 26, um, as Jesus um, is preparing for uh, the night that he's going to be arrested, as he's gathered with his disciples there in that upper room, as they are sharing the the Passover meal together, Jesus takes uh, two parts of that meal, one of which is the unleavened bread, uh, and the other is the, uh, the fruit of the vine. And he adds or um, he redefines their significance as Christians look back. Um, Jesus, the, the, the bread initially was a reminder of their escape from Egypt. Basically, there wasn't enough time for the bread to rise, and so they used unleavened bread because they, they were fleeing quickly. Um, Jesus uh, uses that, and instead of it being a reminder of leaving Egypt quickly, it becomes a reminder of his body. 
The other uh, element that he redefines the significance of is uh, the fruit of the vine, uh, the the wine that was passed around. And that was usually done with a couple of different cups, and each one signified something else that was memorable and significant and important. But what Jesus adds to it, and this is in Matthew chapter uh, 26 and verse 27, says, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, that's the word Eucharist, though, uh, he had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. We're talking about forgiveness, and Jesus, even at the initial uh, instructions about what they're going to be doing and remembering, he redefines the nature of this fruit of the vine to be a remembrance of him, his body, his blood that is poured out, and the fact that that blood leads to forgiveness. Um, That phrase, the forgiveness of sins, you know, we often think about um, different ways in which the Bible uses that phrase. Uh, Acts 2.38 talks about baptism being for the forgiveness of sins. But the only reason that baptism can be said to be for the forgiveness of sins is because Jesus had already poured his blood for the forgiveness of sins. That's where, that's where the power of anything that we do comes from and happens. The power that is f- the forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. And so as we continue to give thanks to God, as we continue to remember our victory, we recognize that even in victory, we have failed to live up to what God has called us to be. And so there's not just a story of a great victory, There's also a story of the continued flowing blood that brings forgiveness to each and every one of us. And it's in that forgiveness that we hope and that we trust for the future and that we have a relationship with God. And so let's uh, say a prayer now as we thank God for the forgiveness that we have by the blood of Jesus. Our Holy Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life and for his death. And we thank you for the blood that was shed that renews our covenant with you and our relationship with you, but also, Father, forgives us when we fail to live up to our end of the covenant. We know that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And there is no greater demonstration of that than the shedding of the blood of Jesus on the cross for every one of us. And it's that blood that we remember now, and it's that blood that we give thanks for now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, We also want to uh, remind everyone about an opportunity as we reflect on what God has done for us, the thanksgiving that we offer in response to the victory that he's given us and the forgiveness that he offers us. We have the opportunity to give back to him, and there are many ways in which that can be done. Um, But um, one way that is beneficial to a lot of the work that goes on here at the church is uh, financial generosity. And uh, so we want to remind you that you have the opportunity after services are over. There's some uh, boxes in the foyer in the back that you can contribute towards, or you can do so online. But remember that God was overwhelmingly generous to you in the giving of Jesus, and he calls us to be generous in response. Uh, Let's say a prayer. Our dear God and our Holy Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the hope and eternal life we have through him. And we pray that we remember that the blessings we have in this life are gifts from you. And we pray that you fill us with a joyful hearts as we uh, share our blessings with others. And as we uh, give uh, to the work of the church and to the kingdom. Uh, We pray that it brings glory to you and that it continues and furthers the work that we're engaged in. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we continue our service and we continue to think about forgiveness, uh, I do want to look at a passage from Matthew chapter 6 with you. 
This is the famous Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, there's some interesting things that Jesus says, um, all of which are profound and challenging and really, really important. But there's this phrase right in the middle of it that uh, gets picked up on after the prayer ends by Jesus in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So here's the prayer, and then here is what Jesus uh, reminds us after the prayer is over. So verse 9, he says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And then notice, And forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then the the traditional ending is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. When you get to verses 14 and 15, after the prayer is over, there's a lot of things that Jesus could comment on. But one thing that he zeroes in on is that line about forgiveness. And he says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So, um, I started off by saying the reason we forgive is because God is overwhelmingly forgiving. But Jesus actually takes that central foundational idea, and right here, he actually reverses it for a moment. He reverses it and gives us a new way to think about it. And the new way to think about it is this, that loving, forgiving, and generous God, he's going to be forgiving, but... If you withhold forgiveness from other people, God will withhold forgiveness from you. Now, that's kind of a terrifying thought, especially if you are withholding forgiveness from other people. Instead of the story only being, we forgive because God forgives, Jesus reverses that and says, and God will forgive if you forgive. So that tells me a couple of things. One, it tells me, um, okay, good, (laughs) because... uh, I know I need to be forgiven, and so I'm going to be the most forgiving human being in this whole wide world. I'm going to forgive others no matter what, uh, because if I do so, I can hope and trust that God will be forgiving to me. Um, it, it, in essence, be as graceful and forgiving as possible, because you're going to need that from God. And, and so there is that challenge uh, that, uh, that we are called to be forgiving to other people. It's also a reminder that We don't want to be stingy in our forgiveness because God's not stingy, but there are times and there are even some parables Jesus tells that have the same meaning behind it. The one who was uh, forgiven a tremendous amount then went and refused to forgive the person who owed him just a a tiny little bit. And what happened to that that first person, the person who was forgiven a bunch? Well, he ended up having to repay that. Um, There is a challenge here to continually look at those around you, look at your relationships, and if forgiveness is not taking place, and if reconciliation is not taking place, ask the question why. And if the question is because you're unwilling to be forgiven, well then it's time to remember what Jesus has done for you. It's time to remember the very character of God. It's time to remember the story of God throughout the whole Bible and try to live into and embody what God has done for you and use that as an example for how you ought to treat other people as well. It's a tough challenge, but it's an important challenge to remember that if God is going to be forgiving to us, we need to demonstrate that to others around us. And one of the beautiful, beautiful things about what Jesus says here is... 
in order for any relationship to work, forgiveness is essential. And so God is giving us very strong motivation to be forgiving to people around us. A world without forgiveness is a world where no relationship works. A world with forgiveness is the only possible way you can have a world with unity. Because you don't have a world with sinlessness, so you need a world of forgiveness. And this is Jesus encouraging that idea and that new world to start with us in the way that we treat one another. The entire world is in need of forgiveness. That's true with respect to our relationship with God. It's also true with respect to our relationships with one another. Uh, Without forgiveness, marriage can't work. Family can't work. Business associations can't work. Neighbors will hate each other constantly. Uh, There is no moving forward in relationships and in unity without forgiveness. Church families can't work together without forgiveness. We understand that forgiveness is, hopefully, uh, as long as there is sin and fallenness in our world, forgiveness is essential. Like, there's no way to, I mean, imagine a world without it. Imagine a world where anytime you make a mistake, that's the end. Uh, imagine in a world where anytime somebody wrongs you, there's no hope of moving forward or moving beyond it. Forgiveness is an essential part of who we are. Having said that, forgiveness is sometimes easy, but sometimes it's one of the most difficult things you can do. And I think one of the reasons why forgiveness can become uh, so difficult is there are times that we can... Uh, associate certain myths, perhaps, with the idea of forgiveness that I don't know that, uh, I don't think they're helpful, and I I don't know that they're biblical. Um, Like, for example, I think sometimes we can think that forgiveness means you're no longer hurt, or you no longer have a um, need for healing, or some of the emotional damage that was done, or physical damage that was done. Uh, All of that goes away when you forgive. That's not always going to be the case. Um, Sometimes forgiveness is a conscious decision that you make, and you can't always control exactly how you feel about it. Um, Jesus, while dying on the cross, kept saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And I imagine he was still feeling the pain as those words were coming out of his mouth. Sometimes the pain can endure. Forgiveness is not, all right, now I'm happy with this person forevermore. Um, another myth I think that sometimes gets attached to forgiveness is that forgiveness is a one-time decision you make, and then that, that's the end of it, henceforth and forevermore. Um, you know, I, I think maybe with God, he's at that level. He can forgive. But for most of us, forgiveness is going to be a process. There's going to be some days where we're feeling it more than other days, and there's going to be times where that, that anger and that, that baggage creeps back in, uh, that hostility towards the other person, and we might need to work on forgiving again. Uh, forgiveness isn't always going to be a simple, okay, they're forgiven, I'm going to move on with my life, and that, that's the end of it. Forgiveness will not always mean exact reconciliation to the way things were beforehand. Meaning... Um, There might be actions that are done that permanently scar a relationship. And you might not be able to bring that relationship back to what it once was. You can forgive, but you can also continue to live your lives in a new way. Um, I think that is often an important part of forgiveness. I remember talking with someone who the reason he was unwilling to forgive is because 
he had been ripped off by a person numerous times and he didn't want to go back into the same relationship. And he felt that if he were to truly forgive, then he would have to bring the relationship back to what it once was. But he couldn't bring himself to do that because he didn't trust this person. And, uh, and I, again, I think, I think you can forgive somebody and let go of that which is... Uh, bringing about hostility and animosity and the desire for vengeance against that person while still continuing to live your lives in new and in fresh ways uh, without having to bring them back to what they exactly once were. Uh, I'll also say, and this is a big one, forgiveness does not mean, okay, it's not a big deal. What you did doesn't matter anymore. Um, forgiveness is not a way to say the guilty person didn't do something extremely wicked and sinful and that they're not guilty. Um, There are things that people can do that cause irreparable damage where you will need help from others. You will need um, uh, perhaps counseling. You will need uh, the encouragement of of a community of believers. You will need the help of a family. And if you're told to then forgive, and that means, okay, so what you did, it doesn't matter anymore, that's not possible, that's not helpful, and that's not right. Uh, The death of Jesus on the cross, I believe, is our paradigm and our example for virtually everything we do in the Bible. The Bible keeps coming back to that. The death of Jesus on the cross was and still is one of the most the most heinous and vile, sinful, wicked, and evil act ever committed by humans. Uh, It was the act of pure, perfect innocence being tortured and publicly mocked and ridiculed. There's no way to say, oh, that's not a big deal. Let's just, you know, that's, that's that's a small thing now that we've forgiven it. Forgiveness doesn't lessen the sin. As a matter of fact, if it does... Perhaps we're forgetting how grand and wonderful forgiveness actually is. Forgiveness matters when you recognize the gravity of the sin that was committed. Um, God's gift of forgiveness to us does not lessen the sins that we have committed or the darkness that we have engaged in. But it shows that love can triumph even over it. And one of our purposes in this life is to demonstrate the triumph of God's love over the world around us. Um, Forgiveness is a key and essential ingredient if that's going to happen. Forgiveness frees us up to be the people God calls us to be. Um, When you look at some of the common images and uh, descriptions and and, um, pictures of forgiveness in the Bible, the main one that pops up is that of debt forgiveness. Uh, It's hard to build for a future when you're constantly paying off a debt. And so the picture of forgiveness is that God is clearing our debt. He has forgiven us of our debt. And then we can live from that point forward uh, with the freedom to be who God calls us to be. Hebrews chapter 12 describes it as a weight that holds us down and God removes that weight from us. So now we can run the race as God intended. Forgiveness is about... Forgiveness is not the end of the story. The story of our salvation is not, we got forgiven, let's, let's go to heaven now. It's forgiveness comes at the beginning so that we can then live with the freedom to be who God has called us and created us to be. We can live in Christ the way that God wants us to. Sin holds us back from that. I think the same thing is true in our relationships with one another a lot of times. 
The thing that kills or that holds the relationship back from being what it otherwise could be is the lack of forgiveness. It's holding one another's wrongs against each other uh, to such an extent that you can't build from that point forward. And so you're constantly looking back at past failures rather than building together for a brighter and a better future. When Jesus died on the cross, God was extending to us the opportunity for a relationship and forgiveness. Um, the thing that is so incredible about that is that God is the one who was wronged by our sin. And yet God didn't passively wait for us to come to him for forgiveness. God took the initiative and acted towards reconciliation. He acted towards forgiveness. He sacrificed so that he could forgive. If that is our model, then forgiving another person is not a passive act of waiting for them to come to you. Rather, forgiveness means reaching out to another. Forgiveness, if it's being withheld, or if, it, if there is a roadblock between two people and reconciliation or forgiveness, make sure that it's not coming from you. Make sure that you take the initiative to, if need be, even make sacrifices to bring about that forgiveness so that you can forgive another person. Like I said earlier on, probably won't be a simple one-time act. It probably won't mean emotionally you're perfect from that point forward. And it won't mean that the sin this other person committed is not a big deal anymore. Um, It is a big deal. There might still be pain. But it's time to begin that long, difficult journey of showing the love of God that you've received towards another even if that means you taking the initiative. So the challenge as we bring our lesson to a close is to look at your relationships, see if there is need for forgiveness, and in some small way this week, try to take a step in that direction. Try to take a step to where you can try to bring about reconciliation and forgiveness with another person and in your life. Um, That's what God has done for you, and it's not easy. Rarely does God call us to only do easy things. But if we truly trust and rest in and rejoice in the love of God, and that has filled us, then we need to try to extend that to others. God didn't only forgive the deserving, and he didn't only forgive those who came to him. God reached out so that he could forgive even the undeserving. Let's try to imitate that in our lives and in our relationships. And if we can help you, help pray for you, please let that be known. We want to be able to help. And if there's anyone here who wants to take the uh, opportunity to receive the forgiveness and the freedom that God is offering you, we pray that you would let that be known also. If we can help you, you can talk to some of our elders privately in the back. Or if you want the prayers of the whole church now, you can come and sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.